From Washington, this is the HPS Macrocast with Hamilton Place Strategies and Markets Policy Partners. Good morning. It's Friday, August 6th. You're listening to the HPS Macrocast. I'm Matt McDonald in for Tony Fratto this week. Uh, I'm joined, as always, by Brendan Walsh from Markets Policy Partners, and we're also joined this week by John Dick from Civic Science. It is uh, Jobs Day Friday, so let's let's dig in and get into the um, the new jobs numbers to kick it off. It was a good jobs report. Uh, the number for this is July's number, and the number was 943,000 jobs uh, created. That is that um, there were also upward revisions of 100,000 plus to the prior couple months. Notably, the uh, unemployment rate went down by half a percent. Uh, so that's at 5.4%, which is great. Under the hood, most of this stuff is all good. I would say the, you have increased participation, you have um, increase in wages. There's a little bit of seasonality, but I don't think anything to get worked up over. Um, the uh, you know coming into this, uh, I, I would say with the with a weak ADP number, there were some maybe downside whispers. It wasn't quite clear. I think this kind of landed where most of the forecasts had it, but the ADP number I think had people wondering where this was going to land. Um, what's your read on the uh, the report and the market's perspective on it, Brendan? Uh, so the the market is definitely taking it positive. I wouldn't it. it it's not a perfectly Goldilocks scenario because it actually was quite strong, uh, but it's certainly not so strong that you you would expect the Fed to change the guidance that they gave uh, at their last meeting, which basically um, took off September as a, uh, a meeting that they would begin the, the taper. Uh, so the, that puts the taper at the either uh, the beginning of the taper discussion at the November or December meeting. This, this jobs number does not change that guidance. So for the market, that's very good. It also, though, reverses the, the large rally that we were seeing in, in yields, uh, especially the 10-year yields. So we were having, it was called the bear steepener, where short-end rates kind of stay, stay where they are, but the long-end rates start to go down. It's because the market is, is pricing in a very uh, bearish outlook on the future. So uh, we got down as low as 1.7 on the uh, U.S. 10-year yield. Uh, right now, we're up to 2.83. So that's good. You want rates, it, you want rates to go up because growth is, is good. You don't want rates to go up because the Fed is behind the curve tightening. So this is a very good scenario where you, you can still have a dovish Fed. You can have slightly higher rates because... Um, that, that certainly helps, uh, you know, growth. Uh, and, and also within the, that, that group, you know, uh, cyclical uh, companies, especially banks, are, are very much helped by higher rates. Uh, so we had seen a, a fairly large sell-off in the, the financial sector because if rates were going to be at 1.1% you know, <laughs> forever, it's not a great situation to be a bank. Uh, and then for equities, it's kind of a, a continued risk on scenario where rates are, are, aren't too high to, to choke off growth. Uh, earnings have been have been good. Uh, and now you have still a Fed that can uh, can remain uh, somewhat cautious on the uh, on the tightening side. John, what's your take from the consumer side about how people are feeling about the economy? I mean, it's worth it is worth pointing out that the 
the BLS, the way that they do this stuff is this is obviously the jobs number. And so these, these uh, figures of when they're in the field, they're, they're kind of three weeks old now, obviously like there's increased chatter around Delta variant and that sort of stuff. If you go into the numbers, like they, we still continue to see a lot of job gains from hospitality and restaurants and that sort of stuff. But um, there's a you even saw some um, wage gains in hospitality and restaurants, which is a, is a good sign. It, we, they hired a lot of people uh, and, and those people actually were able to uh, to demand yeah. simply higher wages. Yeah, I mean, look, if there's ever been a validator of of our ESI, this is it, right? We've we've been sort of seeing significant gains in attitudes toward the job market for for months, but really, really, particularly like sort of mid May through June, um, and this is you know those chickens coming home to roost in a in a good way, um, you know. And think if you think about it, people are feeling the positivity of the job market before they get the job, right? I mean, you've got to interview, you've got to go through the process. Like that, those things take a, I mean, you got, we've all hired people before. It takes some, it takes a month or more to do that, right? So of course there's going to be a lag between people feeling the frothiness of the job market and those job numbers showing up. So that's, you know, that's 100% positive. Um, although we are just in our ESI this week, we saw attitudes to the job market start to plateau, not go down, just plateau. So, okay, maybe we've sort of hit critical mass on that thing. And you know, at the other end of the spectrum, we saw attitudes about the housing market plummeting over the last several months because you know there's just a supply and demand problem that seems to have bottomed out. So these two extreme things going in opposite directions, what's in the middle, which you touched on, which is just general attitudes about the economy and our personal finances, those things are a little bit up and down right now. I mean, I would say tenuous is the word. Um, and it is, it's very Delta variant dependent. I mean, um, people are cautious about what's going to happen with return to school. That's making them cautious about what's back to school retail going to look like, which by the way, is going to explode, but it doesn't matter in a good way. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely a mixed bag of when we, when we look at sort of forward-looking metrics around attitudes toward personal finances and the job market, the fears around politics and COVID and now the Delta variant historically, um, kind of supersede like the reality of our personal financial situation. And that's kind of where we are right now. Uh, I will say consumers are still sitting on piles and piles of cash to spend. Um, we're seeing that, that in the auto market, um, the percentage of Americans who say they're um, in the market to buy a car in the next 90 days is as high as we've seen it in like a long time. Uh, that number hardly ever moves. So yeah, it's just, a, it's a weird mixed bag. It kind of depends on which, which angle you want to look at it from. You also have the, uh, you also have, I mean, it depends by state, but you also have the, um, the ending of the extra unemployment benefits coming up. I mean, it's kind of a strange time where we're looking at the jobs numbers. You know, it's always in retrospect a month, but then you have the the Delta variant and the discussions around that have really only shot up in the past, you know, couple of weeks. And then you have this, you have, uh, as you point out, John, the, um, you know, the back to school stuff that's going to have an impact the um, uh, and then whatever the uh, unemployment insurance situation looks like coming around the corner, it, it there is like. I don't know. There's some weird bookends going on with yeah. uh, how and, and it runs off in early September. And yeah. uh, I, we even got indications uh, today that th there's no appetite within the Democratic Party to uh, to extend those basically because they need that money to, for the for the partisan reconciliation infrastructure bill. So the, the, the 300 is going to roll off no matter what. Well, and don't forget the child tax credits just hit people's, you know, 
yeah. mailbox mailboxes that was too, a, right? Under the we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. It's a very under the radar, very big stimulus. <laughs> yeah. And 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 you look at sort of where that money, that money's gonna go to things like back to school, right? Yeah, For yeah. obvious reasons. I mean, of course it is. And so we're gonna I think we're gonna see a monster back to school season, regardless of whether kids are, you know, what, what regardless of whatever happens truly with return to school. Um, you know, 70 plus percent of Americans expect their kids to return to school in person. Um, you know, 10 percent are still on the fence about it. And 20 percent are going to do some mix of hybrid or just continue to work school for now. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, think it's I a would... big risk to the Democratic Party in the midterm election. Uh, many parents, <laughs> this has become a, a one you know, issue voting. If if my kids don't go back to school, my wife will never vote for another Democrat for the rest of her life. It, the it is um, it is interesting on um, on the back to school and the rise of Delta and that sort of stuff is that I, I don't know it feels like with with the Delta variant is that it's obviously there's risk there right and there's lots of concern but it also has this quality of kind of it feels like this aspect of okay now we're going to have to learn to live with it and how are we going to do yeah. that. As opposed to last year when yeah. it all hit at the beginning and it was like, oh, we got to shut things down to stop the spread. And it just has this quality of kind of for one reason or another, we're not able to do that. And I so, agree. And whether it's PTSD or whether it's I mean, we did spend seven trillion dollars. So there are some vested interests in keeping COVID alive. But, you know, here I've been in the Cape all summer and the, there was a big part. Uh, July 4th on Provincetown is a huge yeah. weekend. It's it's the perfect test case scenario. If you wanted to test the vaccine against uh, against Delta, it's 60,000 people in one square mile and a huge party. We this has been cited as a reason why we need to lock down. But the reality, the data shows it's the exact opposite. We had um, about uh 450 people got infected out of 60,000. Of those, 75% were uh, vaccinated. So we, we, it, it is clear you, you can still Wait, get Of the 60,000 or of the 450? No, of the 450 that got COVID, yeah. 75% were vaccinated. So it was a breakthrough event. Of those uh, 450, four people that were vaccinated needed some hospitalization. Zero died. Yeah. This this is a time to stand up and cheer and say it's time to go back to normal. The, the vaccines work and, and we can't lock down a country because a, a certain part of the population refuses to get vaccinated. It's time to move on. Well, the, some, something we're watching super closely is attitudes about like vaccine mandates, whether they're government or private sector. Um, and you see a lot of headlines every day. Yeah, and, and you know, and, 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 and most of what we ask about is around sort of business mandate. Like, should, should you have to have a vaccine to go to a restaurant? Should you have a vaccine yeah. to go to work? Should you have a, right. Whether, whether that mandate is being driven by the government or by the business itself. Um, and look, the majority of Americans support it, but that also is generally the people who've been vaccinated. Support it, <laughs> right. You know? yeah. But, but I, I look at that less in terms of like the absolute measure we have today. And I'm really fascinated to watch how that trend line evolves, because if this does, I'm, I'm, there's a lot of people that I think are still in denial that like this is anything more than a blip. 
right we're going through right now and like why would we go to these extreme measures it's just going to come you know pass but like if if this lags into the fall you might start to see a louder chorus for these kinds of like you know mandating measures um you know particularly when we start looking at like holiday season and things yeah Um, yeah you know so that's that's something we want to keep a real close eye on because uh, if people start to feel like the economy is getting hurt again because people can't go to restaurants or whatever, you're going to see support for more extreme measures. No question about it. Yeah. Today, United announced they're they're mandating everybody be vaccinated. Yeah. Let's take a quick break and uh, and chat about this a little bit more when we come back. This is the HPS Macrocast. Every two weeks, HPS measures U.S. adults' feelings and expectations for the economy. The HPS Civic Science Economic Sentiment Index accurately measures movements in overall national economic sentiment and provides a more sophisticated alternative to existing economic sentiment indices. To learn more, contact us through HamiltonPlaceStrategies.com. All right, we're back at the HPS Macrocast. I'm Matt McDonald with Brennan Walsh and John Dick. Um, We've been chatting a little bit about the Delta variant, which is cropped up in the couple week in the past few weeks. I mean, it's been around for a while, but in the past few weeks, people have been chattering about it a little bit more. It definitely feels like the markets are, um, I would say, not, not concerned about the material impact that it's going to have in terms of the economy or the markets going forward. It just feels like a very different conversation than when uh, COVID initially came around. What's, what's your read on that, Brendan? Yeah, you have days where the market goes down and people kind of blame it on on the Delta variant. But the reality is the the equity markets are at, uh, you know, fairly close to all time highs. The the bond market might have priced in Delta more, but the bond market um, rally, the the, the drop in yields had started. (laughs) And we've been doing this for three months. So that was just a trend that it was maybe helped by the Delta variant. But now today, after a pretty good uh, jobs number, we're back uh, to, you know, 10 basis points above where we were. So I, I think that it's it's on some radars, but it's not being priced in like it's a long term uh, danger. We, we have some seen uh, some supply chain disruptions, especially in shipping, things like that. Which I was going to ask if there's term. any I was going to ask if there's any difference in how people are thinking about that from a global perspective, because it does feel like some of the some of the uh, Pacific Rim countries that had much more aggressive like lockdown strategy of zero tolerance. It doesn't it feels like they're having some trouble maintaining that. Yeah. And that's where it's being priced into markets. The the U.S. market is kind of saying we're going to be okay. U.S. companies that are exposed to especially Asia. So China, you know, last week. Uh, announced uh, targeted stimulus measures because they are rehabbing to to lock down and it is a f- having a, a slowing effect on the economy. A lot of uh, private sector economists have taken down their estimates of growth from the 6.1 that the Communist Party said it was going to be to, you know, as low as uh, 5.1%. Uh, and you're also seeing in places like Australia, New Zealand, and but even more importantly, uh, a place like um, Thailand and Vietnam really didn't have large outbreaks last year, and, and they're they're on lockdown right now. So um, I suppose one good thing about the Delta variant is it's so infectious that you get a quick wave. Unfortunately, within that wave, lots of people die. John, what's your take on where on how? Um... I mean, related to that, it feels like there's been an uptake in the conversation around 
vaccines, vaccine administration policy, that sort of stuff. How pe- how are pe- how has the Delta variant changed how people are thinking about those issues? I mean, some people, uh, there's just this calcified, you know, 20% that's not going to move on anything, right? It doesn't care who, it doesn't matter who tells them at this point, because you've got Mitch McConnell and even Ron DeSantis, you've got these people out there saying, go get vaccinated. And they're like, no, I already made up my mind. I don't care what you have to say, right? They're listening to whatever outlier they can point to who sort of validates what they already think. I mean, that's the the nature of political tribalism today, such as it is. I mean, and, and what's that going to do? Like that's, that's going to create some regionality to, to the way this plays out. Yeah. Right. You know, and I mean, state by state, region by region where, you know, people are going to ignore the rules or, or lean into the rules, depending on where they're located. I mean, you know, I don't think we're going to see, um, you know, uh, uh, you, I know, I know you're, Brennan, you're saying we're, we're not going to see like shutdowns and things again, um, which is true, but like there are certain areas where people like restaurants, right. I worry about restaurants when the weather starts to turn cold, cold again, if we're not past this right right now, yeah. people can still go out to eat and eat outside. But, you know, things that we've learned is that like if the, the cautious person in an urban center is going to be extra cautious and that could really hurt these, you know, re- re- restaurants that are already tenuously recovering. So that stuff, that's no, but I think you're totally right, because the focus right now is on the government policy response. I, I don't think I think we're beyond that. The, the yeah. government knows they can't really enforce it. So right. we're not going to do it. What I think is going to decide how it goes for the, the future is the consumer response, how scared they are. But more importantly, the private sector response, you know, restaurants are going to demand um, vaccination Companies, I, I know there's a law in Missouri where if you're vaccinated, you get COVID, they'll pay you while you're sick if you're out. If you get COVID and you're not vaccinated, you're fired. So you're, you're seeing a private sector response to this. And I think that is, in the end, going to be the most powerful response to the vaccination issue. And what about when health insurance and insurance companies start playing start, like Right. Yeah, you know, and, sort and, and, of either incentivizing or punishing. Right. Punishing and, and even more so. Exactly. Now, the thing with like the restaurants because that re- will happen with healthcare, it, and here's that's and what here's, they do. <laughs> here's why I think like a a a a, a market driven um, market driven uh, r- rules and 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 re- regulations or whatever you want to call them are is is the best way for this to play out. Because if I'm a business, we, we you just you just nailed it, Brennan. We've been saying this from the beginning. The recovery, this entire crisis, is dictated more by the consumer than by government or business or anybody. Right now, if I'm an urban restaurant. And I know that my customer base is a going to be particularly more cautious, but also much more likely to have been vaccinated, right? Like that's yep. the the irony here is that the person who's vaccinated is also the person who's going to continue to be the most cautious, right? So if I'm if I'm in an urban area and I create a vaccine mandate for my customers, that's great because most of my customers aren't unvaccinated anyway, right? right? Now, like Danny now, Meyer, right? Danny Meyer's demanding it, yeah, yeah but he can do a, it because he's in. Right. Urban area, urban. And that's his customer. Area. Exactly. But if you're if you're if you're in a in a rural part of you know the South or the Midwest and you forego any sort of mandates, it doesn't matter because your customer is going to come into the restaurant anyway, right? right? Because they're not they weren't the ones masking up. So I mean, it. Kind but if of you're like, a manufacturing company in uh, uh, an area that is unvaccinated and outbreaks keep happening, which affect your productivity, yeah, y- you're going to become right. demand the vaccine. Absolutely. Well, it's, and a comi- it, it's yeah. comical to think back to the beginning of the year when it was this big debate about who deserves to be first in line <laughs> and all this sort of stuff. And now we're literally trying to pay people like lotteries and like, yeah. hey, can I get a college scholarship? Like, 
what a whiplash effect on policy on this stuff. Yeah. And when people, whether the vaccine is safe or not, the, the, the very simple thing that I looked at is very rich, smart people were doing everything they could to cut the line. That probably tells you everything you need <laughs> to know. That's one way to outsource your decision making easily, right? <laughs> I know it is it is interesting like to I mean this is going to be the crisis that launches a thousand economics PhDs but it is it is fascinating to think back to what uh, the vaccine distribution policy could have been over the past year and whether that could have made any difference or not I'm not sure that it would or wouldn't but there's the behavioral side of all this stuff and the different messaging that's come out and all the rest of it is like it's just really fascinating yeah like connecticut they just went by age and the governor said there's just too many loopholes when you start to okay this person get it that person get it and and they had one of the best um distribution um timelines on it so sometimes it's you know keep it simple stupid <laughs> yeah it just kind of it, it's interesting i mean i don't it doesn't feel i'm not sure that the that if you're not vaccinated at this point what could have been done in the past to convince you to be vaccinated and i don't maybe maybe when um fda grants full authorization instead of yeah. emergency use i don't know for people who are in the weeds maybe that'll make a difference i guess we'll see well That's that is someone in September, right <laughs> Well, within the military, they can't mandate it uh, until it has the full approval, which. Right. So that is a lot of people that, you know, the, the military, a, a lot of it, it's only 50 percent vaccinated. Yeah, it's not. I mean, listen, like, I don't know. That's not it's it's odd to me that if it's if the emergency use is good enough to administer 100 million doses or whatever, we're kind of we're kind right. of over that. Right. But but, but, but the there FDA is a legal, process, you know. know having the full approval does have legal implications yes. in terms of what you can demand uh, of people like a demanding it in public schools. I think that has a big role too. Yeah. Um, let's take uh, one more break and then we'll uh, come back and chat uh, what's ahead for the next week. Markets Policy Partners provides sophisticated financial market analysis that is independent, accessible and actionable for a broad audience. Learn more at marketspolicy.com or visit them on Twitter at marketspolicy. All right, we're back on the HPS Macrocast. Um, Brendan, what do we have uh, coming up in the week to come? So the big thing is the the Senate still hasn't passed the uh, infrastructure bill. Uh, We we had hoped, uh, Leader Schumer was hoping to do it on Thursday, uh, but there's a provision within the bill uh, that kind of went below the radar. Um, Senator Porter uh, Portman put it in there that it 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 was going to tax. It put a pretty broad definition of what a broker is of anybody uh, buying or selling uh, any crypto asset, uh, and and with that transaction they were going to tax it. They still plan to tax it, but the crypto industry was able to get enough people on their side to hold it up to try to limit what. Uh, the definition of a broker is, is that the that's the one thing that is holding up the that's the uh, one thing so uh we now have competing um competing uh amendments uh with uh wide and toomey and loomis on the one side is trying to put a, a fairly uh narrow definition of what a broker is uh where uh portman warner and cinema uh have a little broader one that would be more negative to bitcoin and ethereum so 
we got to decide. And the White House actually kind of surprisingly came out on side of the they weighed in on the issue and said they'd support the uh, the Portman Amendment. So that delays things a little bit, but hopefully we can pass it this week. Um, and then we throw it over to the House right. where. Well, they only have a three vote. Uh, they only lose three votes. And it seems like Pelosi. Also, this then begins the, the reconciliation process for three point five trillion debate. And Pelosi kind of wants to put the two together. So the, the timing exactly. I think we get both of these bills, but the timing is very uncertain. to me. It's I mean, it's worth it's worth anchoring on the margin in the House because you, you know, we're it's all used so to underreported kind of, and underanalyzed. We're also used to the Senate both being, you know, it's typically a few vote margin yeah. in any given year. And you also have the filibuster, which, you know, um, which creates another kind of um, boundary for a lot for for legislation. And the House usually doesn't work that way. But with a three vote margin, <laughs> like a caucus of five people can hold stuff up. And so it's just. And, and the know. Democrats it, you, aren't you, even on the same page about the reconciliation bill. They, they, yeah, I mean, they're, they're really far apart, actually. <laughs> you've seen a lot of kind of grumble, grumble, especially on the progressive left about some of this stuff and making sure everything's tied together and all the rest of it. I just it, it's not clear to me where all that stuff lands. Um, but yeah, it's because then it has, that bill also has to pass the Senate, which has uh two senators uh, that can can block it if it's too uh, if it's too expensive or that's right. Uh, um, and then on the data front, uh, we have uh, the, the CPI. So inflation numbers, uh, which is becoming a little less of a issue. Three months ago, it's all we talked about. Uh, Senator Manchin, though, is trying to bring it back and <laughs> sent out a tweet uh, criticizing the fact that they need to be again, um, tightening. I mean, I think it's a good idea. I always take my my monetary policy advice from rural senators. <laughs> um, it will. Yeah. I mean, listen, like if if the if the, you know, I don't know if, if it continues to confirm supply chain issues as opposed to something more structural, like exactly. It's probably where that lands. But but I do um, think that um, the core of the FOMC is strong and they've given the guidance that, you know, we'll, we'll start raising uh, actually vice chair Clarida uh, in a speech yesterday said that 2023 seems like a, a good time to, that we could start. That's exactly what's priced into the market. That's been the guidance that's been given by the fed. They plan to begin the taper discussions late or this year, which then puts the actual taper uh, at, you know, like say a March timeframe. Uh, so the market knows what's coming. Uh, and now we just need uh, the economy to still hold in there and not uh, not fall off a cliff. Well, as long as everybody's giving us stuff to talk about, that's that's really that's what's important. Need. So, yeah. <laughs> so tune in next week. Thanks to everybody uh, for listening to the HPS Macrocast. I'm Matt McDonald with Hamilton Place Strategies. Thanks to Brendan Walsh of Markets Policy Partners and John Dick from Civic Science. Have a great great weekend, everybody. Thank you for listening to the HPS Macrocast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and share.